All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church this morning. Uh, my name is Reggie, and uh, this morning we will be continuing in our series called uh, Before All Things. And so over the last few weeks here at Redemption, um, we have been uh, sort of coming out of Colossians where Paul writes that Jesus is before all things in, in both time and position. Uh, Jesus is before all things, and so we've been examining ways in which Jesus has gone before us in different areas of our life, and then specifically diving in to say, what does it look like to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, based on the fact that Jesus has gone before us? Jesus has gone before us in generosity. Jesus has gone before us in service. And this morning, uh, looking specifically at hospitality and how Jesus has gone before us in the area of hospitality. So let me invite you, um, just real quick, I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, we'll move on from there, looking at some specific things from God's Word. But let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together today. God, thank you for Jesus, around whose name we can gather. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can be related together in this place. And it's because of Jesus that we have joined together to worship. And Holy Father, I pray as we continue to look through your Word that Christ would be lifted high and that we would be drawn to you because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone. I pray that as I speak, that you would use me simply as an instrument of grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, that we would hear in our minds and hearts what you would have us hear. In all of this, God, I pray that you would be glorified and that we would receive great joy because we've met with you in this place. God, I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. This morning... Uh, I'm going to sort of do things a little differently than I normally would. We're going to sort of take a journey through Scripture to look at some different uh, areas of hospitality and things about hospitality, like I said. This is not how I would normally preach a sermon, but uh, I'm going to ask you to just stick with me, right? We're, we're going to go on a journey together from the Old Testament to the New Testament and look at a bunch of different things. And uh, you've probably heard this at some point in your life, somewhere, somebody has said, God's ways are not our ways. In Isaiah 55 specifically, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And if you just read through Scripture, you find that statement holds true in a variety of ways, in a variety of stories, in a variety of different uh, things that happen throughout Scripture. We see that to hold true. And one example of that comes in Judges chapter 7. You may be familiar with the story, you may not. In Judges chapter 7, there's this really unique story about God's people and a guy named Gideon. Uh, essentially, years before God had delivered his people from Egypt, they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. God had delivered them out of Egypt into the promised land. They had been living there for a few years, and God's people had started turning away in rebellion from God. They had begun to worship idols. And so God allowed the Midianite nation to come in and to oppress his people for seven years. And after seven years of, of being subjugated to the Midianite nation, God raises up this guy named Gideon to deliver his people. And so Gideon is camped out in the wilderness with 32,000 people by this spring of water waiting to fight the Midianites. They're looking down in this valley at the Midianites and it says, uh, the Midianites looked like locusts, just swarms of locusts spread out across the valley. 
And so Gideon and the people of Israel are camped out by this spring with 32,000 people. And God comes to Gideon and he says, hey, you got too many people with you. If you go and you defeat the Midianite army, you might think that you had something to do with it. So go ahead and tell everybody who's frightened to go home. So Gideon puts the word out and 22,000 people leave. And so Gideon is left here with 10,000 people looking out at these swarms and swarms of Midianites that they're about to go and fight against. 10,000 people. And so God says, hey, Gideon, you've still got too many people with you. And if you go and win, you might think that you did this on your own. So take 10,000 people down to the water and have them drink water at this spring and pay attention to the way they drink. And the people who drink this one certain way, you set them to this side. And the people who drink the other way, you set them to this side. So Gideon ends up with 300 people over here and 9,700 people over here. And God says, go ahead and send the 9,700 people home. So it's Gideon and 300 people looking down at the Midianites who look like swarms of locusts. Right? And then the story gets even weirder. Gideon takes the 300 people and he divides them into groups of 100 and he surrounds the Midianite camp and they have torches or candles inside of a clay pot and they have trumpets and they surround the Midianite army and at some point they smash the pots so that the candles can be seen and they blow their trumpets and they all scream together a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianite army begins to fight itself, and then they end up fleeing, and the people of Israel chase the Midianite army away, and God grants his people deliverance. I find that to be really odd. And yet, God did that. God delivered his people exactly as he promised them that he would. It is not how Gideon would have planned it. It is probably not how anybody would have planned it. But God delivered his people. And here's the truth of the situation is that God's ways sometimes seem counterintuitive to our ways. They often don't make sense. And I would argue that in our current cultural climate, in our current, in our current society, in our current political climate, true biblical hospitality doesn't make sense to people any longer. And yet, it's perhaps the greatest way for the gospel to advance. We'll talk about the definition of hospitality in a moment, but, but I would argue that true biblical hospitality is a core characteristic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has gone before us in hospitality. I'll get to that. And so, true biblical hospitality is a core characteristic of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus has gone before us in hospitality. And if we acknowledge that Jesus is before all things, if we acknowledge that Jesus has gone before us in hospitality, if we acknowledge that Jesus is before us in time and in position, then we have to examine what does hospitality look like for Jesus, and then how does that define who we are and change who we are, right? So stay with me. God's people have always been defined by hospitality. 
There's probably no greater example of this in the Old Testament than in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. God says to His people, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. If you look at this passage, what is the motivation for hospitality that God gives his people? And I would argue that it's the last statement where God says, I am the Lord your God. Why be hospitable? Because God says, I am the Lord your God. Love strangers, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Right? The point here is that God's people were strangers in the land of Egypt, but God has delivered them. God has defined them as his own people. God has given them a new home. They are no longer in Egypt because God has delivered them. They are no longer strangers and aliens because God has given them a unique identity as his own people. Because God has rescued his people. God has delivered his people and made them to no longer be aliens and exiles in Egypt. And so God says, I am the Lord your God. I, I have made myself known to you. I rescued you. I made you to no longer be strangers and exiles. So you, when the stranger sojourns with you, you shall do him no wrong and you shall treat him as a native among you. Right? These words, I am the Lord your God, they're packed with meaning here because in, Levit- in Exodus 20, those are the very first words of the Ten Commandments where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of bondage. I am the Lord your God. Right? That phrase occurs over and over in Leviticus 19. And it's like God is saying, I am Yahweh who came to you when you were oppressed and when you were exiles and when you were strangers. I am the one who came to you. I did this for you. I was hospitable to you. So the duty of hospitality that God places upon his people in the book of Leviticus, and we'll see in the New Testament in a minute, comes from the very nature of who God is. I am the Lord your God who made a home for you and brought you to that home. Therefore, you shall love the stranger as yourself. Therefore, you shall mirror my values. Therefore, you shall be holy as I am holy. Therefore, you shall be hospitable, right? God made a home for his people when they were strangers and aliens and exiles in Egypt. God brought them out and made a place for his people. He makes space for them. He invites them into his family. He uniquely identifies them. He invites them to his table. If we flip over and look at some New Testament passages, we see things like this, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. We went through 1 Peter a a few months ago, but 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, let brotherly love continue. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This idea of hospitality, it runs throughout the Old Testament, it runs throughout the New Testament, and just in a couple of verses here, we see that these are commands from God to His people to show hospitality. I'm going to get technical for a minute, because I think it's really important to see. But in the New Testament, there are essentially two words that are used to define hospitality, two words used uh, that are interpreted as hospitality. In the passages that I just read, the word for hospitality that's used there is the Greek word philoxenia, which literally means lover of strangers. Right? And, and, and so according to the words that, that Paul is using here and other writers are using here, hospitality doesn't refer to us just hosting our friends and families in our homes. It goes further and refers to us opening up our homes and lives to people we've never met people that we would even consider to be strangers. There's a second Greek word for hospitality that's used in the New Testament. It wasn't part of the passages that I just read, but it's the word xenodikeo. And it is a compound of xenos, which, which was in the other word, which means stranger, and the word dekomai, which means to receive or to accept. Right? And, so, and so hospitality extends to embracing or receiving or accepting those who have no share in our own identity. Receiving those who have no share in our own values. Receiving those who are strangers to us. And I think it would be pretty natural when we hear this New Testament command to show hospitality and to be hospitable. I think it would be natural for us to say, for our first instinct, would be to think about this command in terms of ourselves. Could I accept into my life and into my home someone who does not share in or know my own identity, my own life, my own values, whatever it might be? And that's a great question, but that's not where we start. That's where we end. We start with the question of how did Christ first perform this work of mercy for me? How did Jesus first go out in the area of hospitality for me? How is Jesus before all things, specifically in the area of hospitality? And so when we think about things in this way, we think about things in in, in those terms, we see that God has accepted into his home a group of people, that's us, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who do not by nature, share in his identity or values apart from the work of Jesus in our lives, right? Theologically, we have a name for this. It's called grace. It's God extending to us something that we don't deserve because we have no standing with him. And grace is the hospitality of God to welcome sinners not because of their goodness or their standing, but because of who God is. Jesus has led the way in hospitality by extending to us grace, those who are strangers to Him. 
if we think about the biblical context and we think about these biblical directives to show hospitality, like let's, let's think about the culture and the society that these directives were given into. There was no professional hospitality industry like would exist in our society and culture. It doesn't exist in the same way. And so one biblical, um, or, or one biblical historian has said that in the absence of a professional hospitality industry, the survival of the traveler, the survival of the sojourner, the survival of the alien and the exile really did depend entirely upon the kindness of the people who lived where these strangers were traveling to. And this is a quote. The plight of aliens was desperate. They lacked membership in the community, be it tribe, city, state, or nation. And as an alienated person, the traveler often needed immediate food and lodging. Widows, orphans, the poor, or sojourners from other lands lacked the familial or community status that provided a landed inheritance, the means of making a living and protection. In the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's own land, home, or community and providing directly for that person's needs. So let's be clear that the biblical directive for hospitality is a pretty big directive. But isn't that exactly what Jesus has done for us? He receives us into his home, into his family, into his community, not because we belong there, not because we deserve to be there, but because Jesus did the work to accept us. Jesus is before all things, and he has gone before us in hospitality by giving his own life to welcome us sinners into his very home and into his very family and into his very community. This whole series that we're working through is, has come out of Colossians. It's come out of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, Paul wrote, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? You, you see it, right? You got it. You got it. Jesus is before us in hospitality. The gospel itself, Jesus extending grace to us in and of itself is a picture of hospitality. It's God through Jesus receiving us as his own despite the fact that we are aliens and exiles and sinful people. Jesus has gone before us in hospitality, and the gospel itself is a picture of Jesus doing just that, welcoming us who are strangers, welcoming us who are aliens, welcoming us who are sojourners into his home and life and community. And the thing about this is, it's not just a theological concept based on the reality of the gospel. It's not just a theological concept based on the fact that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has made a way for us to be right with God. It's not, just, it's not just a theological idea. Jesus actually practiced this. 
In Mark chapter 2, there's, there's a lot going on in Mark chapter 2, but just in a few verses, verses 15 through 17, we have this recorded about Jesus. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In Mark chapter 2, we literally have a picture of, of Jesus making a place at the table for strangers and exiles and aliens, for sinners and for sojourners. And don't miss the drama here of Jesus being criticized. Because Jesus is eating with those that the religious people considered as less than. Jesus is eating with people that the religious people would consider strangers. Jesus is eating with tax collectors that nobody liked. Jews who had turned against their own. For money, he's eating with people not normally welcomed, right? It was abnormal for sinners to eat with righteous people. It was abnormal for Jews to eat with Gentiles. It was abnormal for tax collectors to be liked by anybody. And Jesus is at the table with them. But it has been Christ's plan since the very beginning of the church to advance his kingdom through the dinner table. In the book of Acts, the first believers are found day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, right? For for thousands of years, the dinner table was a visible reminder of the division between people, but now Jesus is sitting at a table with a people that no longer had a place. Jesus is sitting at a table with those who were considered strangers. Jesus is making space for those that nobody had made space for. And today, for you and I, it is at places like the dinner table that the peace of God must visibly reign in our world. And that happens when God's people make a place for the stranger making spaces for strangers and aliens and exiles is a way that believers march against the evil of this world with the advancement of the gospel. It's so simple. Making space for strangers around a dinner table is a way for the gospel to advance. I started this sermon with a story about how God's ways are not our ways. Our ways. The modern American way is to draw hard lines and to, to make distinctions. Right? You, you only need to look at the modern political climate to see this. Those who believe differently than us, those who possess different values and different ways of thinking than us, whoever us is, Those people are often seen as enemies that need to be defeated rather than as strangers to be invited in and to eat at our dinner table. 
right? It, it doesn't even have to be that big as the modern American political climate. It doesn't even have to be that big, right? If you come to my neighborhood on any given night, and I've used this example before, my neighbors all around me, when they come home, they pull into the garage, they literally close the garage door with the garage door button that's in their car before they will ever get out of the car. Now, you come into my neighborhood at night, people are closing their garage doors before they're out of the car, they're going into their homes, and you don't see them again. I have people that live three or four houses down from me, and I have literally never seen them outside. For me to go and meet them, I'm going to have to go and knock on their doors and, and get them to come to the door and talk to me. It's just sort of how suburban life seems to work. It's natural for us to close ourselves off into our little clans, into our little tribes. It's like gravity. We're drawn inward into ourselves. And we eat inside our homes by ourselves and we close ourselves off so that even our neighbors who live two or three doors down from us have become strangers. But God's ways, God's ways are not to close ourselves off. God's ways are not like that at all. God's ways are for us to, to make space for the stranger, to invite the stranger in, to invite the stranger into our homes, to invite the stranger into our lives, to invite the stranger into our community. And Jesus led the way in this. Jesus led the way in this. Jesus is our example in this. And the very fact that we can be rightly related to God, Jesus has led the way in this. And so just like in the, New Te in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, where God says, Treat the sojourners as natives because I am the Lord your God. The command is the same for us. Love the strangers because Jesus has loved us. Love the stranger because Jesus has led out in this. The ultimate act of hospitality was when Jesus died for sinners to make everyone who would believe in him part of his home, part of his family, part of his community. To make everyone who would believe a member of the household of God. We are no longer strangers and sojourners. We have come home to God because of what Jesus has done. And so Jesus says to us, show hospitality to the stranger. And in this, in our display of that same hospitality, God is glorified. And this has huge ramifications for us in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our nation. As we stand around and talk about borders and immigration and refugees and all these other things, right? the gospel has something to say about that. As we think about the people who live two or three doors down from us that we don't even know their names, the gospel has something to say about hospitality. The gospel has something to say as something as simple as eating around a dinner table and how that in and of itself can advance the gospel, for God to be glorified. So as I draw all this to a close, let me give you three exhortations. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. Three exhortations. Let's look back, right? Let's look back and let's remember that we owe our life to an act of God's hospitality. We were once strangers and aliens in the Egypt of sin and death. But Jesus has rescued us. Jesus has brought us out of that exile and has given us space with him. 
Let's look back. Let's look forward. Let's look forward to a future where God's hospitality only increases, right? Not only has he met our biggest need on earth, salvation from Satan, sin, and death, and made a space for us at his table, we know that there's a future and a new heaven and a new earth where God makes everything as it should be, and the hospitality that God has exhibited to us now only increases as we look forward to a full understanding of what Jesus is going to bring about. And let's look around. Let's look around to see what happens when we practice hospitality. Right? When we do, when we practice hospitality, when we model the hospitality that Jesus has exhibited to us, we experience the refreshing joy of being God's conduits of hospitality rather than just being cul-de-sacs in a neighborhood that receive traffic but never give anything back. John Piper put it this way, the joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. So because Jesus has shown us hospitality, let's be a new and radically different kind of people who demonstrates the very hospitality to the world that Jesus has demonstrated to us. And let's watch the gospel advance as we do that. And so let me just ask you a few questions as we close our time together and enter into a time of response in a minute. But are you marked by the hospitality of Jesus? Does the hospitality of Jesus mark your life? Are you hospitable to those in your neighborhood Are you hospitable to those who look different than you? Are you hospitable to those who come from different places than you? To those who come from different countries than you? Are you hospitable to those who hold different beliefs and values than you? What what about to those who live downtown, to our neighbors around this very building? How is we as a, a collective body of faith being hospitable to our downtown neighbors? And even more, are there any ways that the truth of grace needs to confront us and change us as we understand that grace is Jesus demonstrating hospitality to us? How does that confront us this morning? And how does the truth of what Jesus done, how should that change us? I would invite you to reflect on those questions as we enter into a time of response. During this time of response, uh, the band's going to come back up here Lead us in a few songs and give us an opportunity to worship through singing. We have an opportunity to worship through giving. There's a giving table in the back where you can put your tithes and offerings. You have an opportunity to sit where you are, like I said, and reflect on these questions. To pray if you need to pray, whatever it might be. And during this time, we have an opportunity to take communion. Uh, So you can come down these side aisles, tear off the, the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, And so remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We we do this because uh, we're told in God's Word that when we take communion, when we remember Christ's body being broken and we remember Christ's blood being shed, we're proclaiming to one another that we believe this. And, And we're saying we believe this is true and we're proclaiming that 
to one another that we believe it, that it is true. We're remembering together and we're proclaiming together. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you can remember what Christ has done and you want to proclaim that you believe it, then I invite you to come and take communion this morning. If that's not something you can remember and proclaim, I would encourage you to sit where you are, not to be singled out, but just to understand what we're doing is a visible act of saying we remember what Christ has done and we believe it. So I'm going to pray for us as we enter into that time of response. God, thank you for this reminder from your word that Jesus has ultimately done for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, thank you for this reminder of Jesus' hospitality on our behalf, that Jesus would make space for us and your family, that Jesus would make space for us as a part of your community. God, we we thank you for that, and, and we rejoice in that. God, even now, as we close our time together, as we worship and sing and take communion and all these things, God, I pray that you would continue to call us to examine our own hearts and our own lives and to see how we can be marked by the, the hospitality of Jesus, how the hospitality of Jesus can change us to be hospitable as well. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this time that we have to continue in worship. And Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.